Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, today, we want to start today by letting you know that we're going to end our time together with communion. And so if you need to gather your elements, uh, bread and cup, then this just gives you a heads up that we are going to be doing that. And so uh, let me just uh, have a time of prayer with you. And then we're going to dive into our message together as we begin or continue our series in the book of Acts. And we'll be looking at chapters 13 and 14 together today. But let me just pray for us as we spend some time um, in time or together in prayer and then looking at Acts chapter 13 and 14. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that we have the word of God to look into together and that you are the author and that you want us to learn from you. And so we ask for that today, God, that you would teach us and that you would guide us and that you would encourage our hearts as we look at this fantastic passage as Paul and Barnabas go out on this missionary journey and we want to learn from you today. And so we look forward to this time that we're going to share together in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, today, as we do plunge into Acts chapter 13 and 14, we want to see Barnabas and Saul as they set out on this missionary journey. And at Summit, we have some missionaries who actually are engaged in reaching unreached people groups in our world, much like we're actually going to see in Acts chapter 13 and 14 in just a few moments. Now, that's fascinating enough, but what I want to do is I want to start off today, however, with reading a message from N and M. Um, and I use just those initials because we need to be careful due to the nature of the work that they're engaged in and in the place in the world that they're engaged in. And so we're not going to use their names or the exact location of their work. So let me just share with you a bit of a report from the message that they have shared with us before we get into Acts chapter 13 and verse 14. And I'm just going to quote a few of the, um, uh, a bit of the message that they shared with us. So let me just share what they've given to us. The believers are so few and so isolated in their communities that there is not even one Bible teaching church in their community or that they could realistically travel to every Sunday. Many are in, minor many are in minority tribes tucked up in rugged mountains. Add on layers of cultural barriers, laws forbidding conversion, hostile systems, and frequently a lack of the full scriptures translated in one's own heart language, and it is a challenge to learn about Jesus Christ. Although God can work in a variety of ways, the main, and that's all capitalized, the main way that he brings his fame to remote people groups is through us, surprisingly so, his human servants to reach other humans. While the internet, radio, and literature are useful, we must also endeavor to physically go near and far to build physical relationships and relate the gospel human to human wherever and whenever God enables. To see an indigenous-led, healthy, reproducing, biblical church planted and thriving the initial human touch seems to be especially key. NNM close with this, and I quote, In these stretching times, please remember the urgency that souls are being lost without hearing the name of Jesus. 
That's a great reminder and a great starting point, actually, for our message this morning. Let me just say that sentence again. In these stretching times, please remember the urgency that souls are being lost without hearing the name of Jesus. So I, I live personally with this balance of locally seeing a local church make disciples who will go out and share their faith, which is clearly seen in the book of Acts, but I also know we need a global focus. Both, there's got to be a balance. A vision of the need of our world, understanding that the job still isn't finished yet, which is quite incredible since it started 2,000 years ago. But we also need to have this understanding that we've got a local job to take our faith out into our everyday world and share Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in these two chapters, is going to take us on his first missionary journey, and he's going to leave the local church in Antioch, where they were residing, and he's going to go global. So these two words are very important, local and global. Both words need to describe the church because they describe the church in the book of Acts, and we will see this morning that it's both, not either, or. And so I've invited two guests to share with us via video today from two different perspectives of local and global. So if we agree that the mission is to take the gospel into the whole world, well, what are some of the issues that we face? Well, let's see what they face back in the book of Acts. Issue number one, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. If you have your Bibles there, then I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 13. And what I want to do is I want to start off by just simply reading the first three verses. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 says this. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manim, who had been, called, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them and sent them off. So, there are several things to take note of here. Number one, this is the local church that is obviously sharing the gospel locally, as well as in Judea and Samaria. We have the evidence of that from chapter 8, verse 1 in Acts. But they're about to go global. They are worshiping, as well as fasting, we're told, and during that time, God speaks to them. He wants Barnabas, and he wants Saul, and he wants them set aside, because the gospel's going to spread way beyond Antioch. So let's work this through. Here's a local church that's doing a good thing. They're worshiping, they're fasting, so in other words, they're seeking God. And they're asked by God to give up two of their best leaders for the work that God's called them to do. Think about that for a moment. God didn't ask for a couple of their second-level leaders. He didn't even ask for volunteers. Now, I want you to listen to what Pastor John Piper said in regards to this request. And I quote, The mindset of God at this Antioch moment was not, how can this church survive without Saul and Barnabas, but how can the world be reached with the message of the crucified and risen king of the universe? God gives himself to the church that gives itself to his mission. End of quote. Let me just read that last statement again, that last sentence that Piper said. God gives himself to the church 
that gives itself to his mission. I think that's so crucial. I know this is an area that we want to continue to emphasize, this set apart for me, those that I have called. Pastor Colton and I had uh, lunch last week, and we were talking away and, and discussing ministry here at, at Summit, and Colton just mentioned to me that he knows that he's got a couple of students who very strongly feel called into ministry, and that's great. Well, here at Summit, we have an active internship program where we want to help young people discern God's calling upon their lives. And that's just so key because as a church, we want to be always, uh, in a way, assisting and helping and affirming those who feel that sense of calling upon their lives to go into full-time ministry. Well, right now, I want us to watch this video from my friend and former pastor, Phil Collins, from Willow Park Church in Kelowna. I've known Phil for quite some time now, and he spoke here, I know, in the past, and so some of you may recognize him as soon as you see him, and he comes up in the video. But if you haven't, Phil is an evangelist by heart, by gifting. And a few years ago, Phil just had this burden upon him that he, he just felt there weren't enough people who were trained and gifted as evangelists for the Canadian church across Canada. And so what he did was he started a school. He started a school to train evangelists. And I asked Phil to give me a, a brief video about the school and how he's in the business of training people to share their faith. And so let's watch that right now and listen to what Phil has to say to us. And so we'll just take a few moments and watch that video. Hello, Summit Drive. Uh, Russ asked me to share some thoughts with you about our school of evangelism called Pursuit School and how we disciple our young adults and the role of mission and evangelism in the local church and the difference that it can make. Why do I love evangelism? Well, if you know anything about me, and I'm the pastor at Willow Park Church, of course, I'm from England, is that I was never raised as a Christian, completely raised in an atheistic home. In fact, the first time I heard about Christianity was when some young people came to me. I was hanging on the streets, smoking my Benson Hedges cigarette, tin of beer in my hand. I had spiked hair. I had my own group, my own gang. There were headbangers, skinheads, punks within that area. And they came and told me about Jesus. I argued with them. I debated they got me to go to church. And what I can say is this, cutting a very long story short, three months later, I met Jesus Christ in my life. It was the best thing that had ever happened to me. I've been a Christian ever since. I've never wavered because I had a true conversion and I knew that my sins were forgiven and for all the wrong that I'd done had changed me. I committed my life at that point to share with everybody about the amazing power of the gospel. I think the reason we run Pursuit School and take young adults and teach them, mentor them and train them is because I myself was mentored and trained. And we know it's the biblical way. The biblical way isn't just knowledge, it is actually receiving knowledge and then going out and practicing and doing. And that's why Pursuit School has been so remarkable, because it's basically in a school what I experienced as a young man. I had a friend who was an evangelist, and he used to take me to mission events and taught me how to speak, taught me how to share the gospel, explained the gospel in its beauty and how to illustrate it and bring it alive. I watched him and then I tried to do it. 
to be honest, at those times, it was rather bad. But I learned, and I would think today, even this past week, I led somebody to Jesus in the way that I've led people to Jesus for years. Explaining the gospel and then praying with them and seeing the beauty of salvation happening in their lives. So we train and we develop within Pursuit School those who are, have a hunger to just grow, to learn about mission, to learn about evangelism, to learn about good teaching and theology. So Pursuit School is a Jesus model. It's Jesus taught it, then he did it, then we understood it, and then we go and do it. And in the same way, that's what we've aimed to do with our evangelism at Willow Park Church, is to teach it, then go and do it, and see what God does. And guys like me give their lives to Jesus. Be blessed, Summit Drive. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Now, these young people will come out of that school with a confidence in knowing how to take the gospel and share it with others. They may stay in the area. They come from all different places. They come from across Western Canada and uh, in, in this whole area right around us. And so they may stay in the area. They may go back home to where they come from, or they may end up going on foreign missions, which is great. And perhaps today, through this simple process of hearing from Pastor Phil, someone watching that particular video may have a sense of God's call upon their life to go to the Pursuit School of Evangelism and then return back here with us with a newfound confidence to share the good news of Jesus Christ locally or with a new call upon their life to take the gospel to the far reaches of our world with our calling as a church and our blessing as a church family upon you. And here at Summit, we would take that very seriously. And we have very different ministry levels where we're always engaging in different ways of, of continuing to teach locally here this idea and talk about uh, how we can better train our own people here locally on the idea of sharing their faith. And three years ago, Pastor Dave produced a gift book called Invite It, which focused on that aspect of discipleship. And we're going to be bringing that back into focus again in 2022, Pastor Dave told me. But like the church at Antioch, we want to be always listening to God on whether at the macro level is God asking us to set apart certain people in our midst for the calling of taking the gospel to the, uh, certain parts of the world that are far away and we put our blessing upon those individuals or at the micro level. And what do I mean by that? Well, at our, our life group levels, we know that, especially with COVID now, telling us that uh, we can only have uh, a, a household plus six now with uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry's latest statement that our life groups have got to get smaller, not larger. And so we're going to need more leaders. And so we need to be continuing discerning who our, our leaders need to be. And, and so are we listening and catching the vision that we need to be setting aside more leaders to lead more life groups? And so who is it in your group that needs to step up to that level of leadership? Are we catching the vision? Let's move on. Issue number two. There's a clarity to the gospel for Paul in Acts chapter 13 as we move on verses 32 through to 41. So let's remember where Paul's at in his own journey. This is his first missionary journey that he's taking. 
So let's take a look at this map that we've got up here on the screen and see where Paul and Barnabas, and if you're at home, you can quickly Google it and you can pull up Paul's missionary journey on your devices or, or look at it in your, lots of Bibles have them in, their, uh, in your back of your Bibles. But let's start at Acts chapter, or Acts chapter 13, verse 4, and see where things start out at. It says in verse 4, the two of them, that's Barnabas and Saul, they, sent out, they were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, and they went down to Seleucia, and they sailed from there to Cyprus. Now, why is that important? Well, Cyprus is important because um, we hear that verse 4, or chapter, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, tells us that Barnabas was from Cyprus. So they probably would have had some contacts there and perhaps some open doors to share the gospel. Barnabas' hometown. And then they travel through the whole island, and they get to the Pamphus, where they had an interesting meeting, it tells us, with a sorcerer and with a government official. And then ultimately, they leave the island, as you look at the map there, and they go on from there, where they leave the island, and they go to Perga. And for there, we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 4, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, which is obviously different from the Antioch that they started from, and here Paul preaches in the synagogue, and we see him clearly explaining to an audience of both Jews and Gentiles how they can come to faith. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 16. It says, Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Interesting. Jump down to verse 32 and following. Here Paul makes it clear what he means. We start at verse 32. We tell you the good news, Paul says, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will be, never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Now, verses 38 and 39 are key. Listen to verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. This is revolutionary for these people to hear. Paul makes it clear what he means in verses 38 and 39. This, this key teaching is right here in these verses. In his commentary on these two verses, Lloyd Ogilvie says this, and I quote, The basic meaning is that by faith and not the works of the law of Moses, that a person is justified, or that word that means put back in a right relationship with God, acquitted, like there is now no sentence over you, forgiven and set free. The law could not justify anyone, for all have broken it, but forgiveness is offered through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul's statement does not mean that all the law justified in some things, and Jesus took care of the rest, all things is inclusive grace, end of quote. So just allow those four words to sink in for a moment. Well, actually, it's five words. Justified, acquitted, 
forgiven, and set free. Wow. That's the message that we get to share with the world. Justified, acquitted, forgiven, and set free. Jesus came into the world, lived the perfect sinless life, was crucified, buried, but then rose again victorious over death, sin, and the grave. And then he invites us to have a personal relationship with him when we ask him to forgive our sins and by faith to trust him as our Savior. Why is this so important? Well, let's look at verses 46 and 47. It says, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. He's speaking to the Jewish people here. Since you rejected it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. This is a historic moment here. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. A major transition point in the book of Acts and in the gospel going to the very ends of the then known world. And it leads me to our last issue for our message today, issue number three. There can be a price paid when sharing the gospel. Acts chapter 14 we move into now, verses 1 through to 7. As Christians, we don't bear witness as aggressors, but we may encounter aggressors when we do share this good news. Look at verses 14, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. It says that at, Icon at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue, and there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So we see what's going on. So then we go on to verse 3 through to 5. We read this. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders, now listen, to mistreat them and stone them. Remember what I said the issue was. There can be a price paid when we're sharing the gospel. And so there is this plot that was afoot. But we find out in verse 6, it says that they found out about it and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby. And our map tells us that that's where they ended up going on this part of the particular journey that they were on of this first missionary journey. And in verse 7, it tells us this, where they continued to preach the gospel. And so they fled, but they didn't stop doing what they were called to do. What was that? To preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. Was that the end of their hardships? Oh, no. It was not the end of their hardships. Because we read this in Acts chapter 14, verse 19. It says, Then some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city, and the next day he and Barnabas left 
Derby. Wow. How many times do you have to throw stones at a man before you think he's dead? But just to remind us of what kind of individual Paul is, we have to go back to Acts chapter 9 and realize that this is actually what he was called to. Because when he first was given the understanding of who Jesus is, remember when he met Ananias in Acts chapter 9, and Ananias didn't want to really have anything to do with him, and the Lord called Ananias to meet with Saul. It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, God called Ananias to go and meet with him, and in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, God said to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then we go over to Acts chapter 20, and we see Paul continuing to, to live this out. And in Acts chapter 20, we read these words. Verse 22, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He had one job, one clear job. I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what happens to me, no matter what. So we go back to chapter 14, and how does it wrap up? Well, it wraps up with them backtracking back through the places that they'd been. If you look in your map again, you'll see that they just go back. They want to get back to Antioch, the place that they had originated their, 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 uh, or their trip from. And when we get to Acts chapter 14, verse 27, it says this. On arriving there, where they started from, it says this in verse 27. They gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Wow. I have another video I want us to watch about taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth. This video comes from Partners International. It's an organization that I've known for quite some time. I went with them to Brazil a number of years ago when I was pastoring in Saskatoon, and I have a great degree of respect for their passion to take the gospel to the unreached peoples groups of the world. They don't send missionaries themselves, what they do is they look for national missionaries and then they support them and work with them. And my friend Chan is going to share with you in this video work that they're already doing with national groups and unreached regions of our world. And so let's just watch this video for just a couple of minutes and hear what Partners International is doing in unreached groups around our world. It's, it's an inspirational video if you just listen to Chan as he shares with us. And we'll watch that video now. Hi, Summit Drive Church. I hope you're doing well in this crazy season we find ourselves in. My name is Chan Skalinder, and I'm the Vice President of Ministry Advancement at Partners International. And I wanted to tell you a few stories of how God is working through amazing people, leaders and ministries all over the world that are catalytic and transforming their communities and building the church to the ends of the earth. In one particular place in northern Pakistan, up in the, the, the tribal areas where the Taliban has a stronghold, we have evangelists that are preaching the gospel, risking their lives every day to see Muslims coming to Christ. And not only 
are they preaching the gospel, but they're discipling them through a Bible correspondence school. And in the interior of India, in one of the most concentrated areas of unreached people groups around the world, we actually have seen one unreached people group of 200,000 people now has 30,000 believers in that one group. And then there's all over the world, there's Cuba, there's Africa, there's Central Asia, there is East Asia, Southeast Asia, and there's South America. And I want to tell you a particular story, and it, it's titled, God is Not in Quarantine. And this comes right from our ministry leader, Eduardo. And they're working in the Amazon region on the Purus River. And so as the team was not allowed to travel to the communities for Sunday services, Bible studies, visits, and discipleship, they started writing letters to the families and sending them along with solar speakers through people that came to the villages. After some time, they got replies. People who came to town told them that they missed them very much and they decided to have their services even without the missionaries. They were praying, reading the letters together, and playing the Bible studies in the speakers when they met. Unexpected leaders stood up, organized the service, shy worshipers were not hiding anymore, and others who were undecided became active Christians. When Eduardo had the chance to return to these villages, he saw the impact that the church had on other people there. There used to be two houses with the most resistant to the gospel. From these homes, three people gave their life to Christ, and now we have at least one follower of Jesus Christ in all 15 homes. So it's an amazing thing that these people are doing all over the world. But how can you get involved? Well, there's two ways. One is to become a prayer partner. Go to partnersinternational.ca and you can sign up and we'll send you a monthly prayer request from anywhere around the world. And every month you'll keep getting prayer requests so that you can pray. And the second way you can help is that you could invest $39 a month in the Global Impact Partnership. And what you do there is you see your $39 go to the most needed places. And as we send those monies, we get stories from the, those places so that you can see the impact of what your money is doing. Thank you again, Summit Drive Church. I can't wait to see you, uh, hopefully very soon in Kamloops. We can sit down, have a coffee, and I could tell you more stories of what God is doing around the world. Thanks again for the time and God bless. It's a great thing or should be a great thing when we hear missionary stories or testimonies of people coming to faith. Whether it's local, like through our Alpha Ministries or different ministries that we have here at the church, when someone discovers that Jesus is real and we celebrate with them, it's a cause for celebration just as it was back in the book of Acts, and Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch, and the church gathered. Why? Because they wanted to hear what had happened, and Paul and Barnabas wanted to share with them what had taken place. And it, when we gather and we hear from our missionaries the stories from the field or when they come home or share via emails or videos, we should celebrate and pray and praise God for what His good hand has done upon them because it's still a spiritual battle. The enemy does not want the good news of Jesus Christ to go forth, and we should engage in prayer, as NNM shared in their email to us, what we should be doing, because the reality is, is that the battle is still going on. We as a church are privileged to share with them and serve with them as by prayer and finances, so we hear the stories of people coming to faith. We sing and we dance and we praise God with them 
as the angels in heaven also rejoice. One of my favorite testimony times came when I was traveling with one of my tour groups in Israel. And I've always had the same tour guide who is now a friend of mine. His name is Arye Harel. And he is a Jewish man who respects my beliefs just as I respect where he is at in his own spiritual journey. And one part of our tour that never ever changes is that we get to do a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. And, and um, it's just uh, one of the things we try to do is always arrange it at the end of the day because it's like a capstone to the day. And so um, on this particular day, um, Arie had told me that he had a surprise for me and I didn't know what the surprise was and he wouldn't tell me all throughout the day. And, and so we get to the end of the day and, and he's been bouncing throughout the day just telling me how he's got the surprise for me. And, and so we get to the dock where we're going to get onto the boat and, and he says, this is, this is your surprise. And, and I said, well, what is it? And so we get on the boat and what traditionally happens is that uh, we get out onto the sea and we, we uh, turn the motor off and then we have a devotional time and a prayer time and, and if we can, we sing. And, and it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful capstone to the day to get out into the Sea of Galilee and, and we share that time together. On this particular day, Arie says, uh, uh, Russ, I just want to have uh, Daniel, who was the boat operator, he says, I just want him to share with you um, something that he would like to, to tell you about. And so Daniel, who was a, a Jewish man, born and raised in Israel, um, just says, uh, if you don't mind, he says, I would just like to tell you my story. And I said, Daniel, that would be great. And so he begins to share how just that not too long before he had um, found the Messiah. And we sat there in rapt attention as this Jewish man begins to unfold for us and share with us the great news of how he, in his own words, had found Yeshua, his Messiah. And we just were so happy. And, and I looked across the boat and, and my friend Arye looks across and he's grinning from ear to ear. And I thought, how ironic. And here's this, this Jewish man who's introduced to us, this other Jewish man who has now found Yeshua, the Messiah. And he's telling us his story and we're rejoicing with him. And, and it was just an emotional time to hear the story of how this man with Jewish blood running through his veins had found the Messiah, Yeshua, and we sang and we prayed and we, and it was just such a great, great time as we celebrated the great news of him finding Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Savior. We should always rejoice when someone finds the Savior. We should always sing and praise and share together the good news because it is worthy of us celebrating. It is actually why we are here, always wanting to tell someone else the great news about who Jesus is. And whether it's here locally, or whether it is, is some unreached people groups, or whether it's in Israel, it is worthy of us celebrating that someone else has found the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so we continue to pray and give and celebrate when we hear of people coming to faith because it is worthy of all our efforts all the time. And it leads us into our time of communion now because it reminds us of why Jesus came. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, he wrote these words, and if you have the elements with you, then I invite you to come and, and join together with me now in this time. And Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said this as he wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so these two elements, the symbol of Christ's broken body and his shed blood. Let me just pray, first of all, for the symbol of Christ's broken body, which is this bread. Father, we thank you for what your son has done for us. And this piece of bread, the symbol of his broken body, just before we partake of it, Lord, we want to say thank you. Thank you that Jesus would love us that much that he would go to the cross. Thank you that we get to remember together. And so as we partake of it now, we just pause and we say thank you, thank you, thank you for what Jesus has done for us. And it's in his name that we pray and partake of this now. Amen. The Bible also says that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he talks about how we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And it's a great thing to think of that we're at that time now where we're proclaiming something. We're proclaiming the fact that Jesus is going to return again. And that's why it ties in so well with this message that we're announcing that Jesus is going to return again. And we want to share the good news of who Jesus is. And so as we partake of this cup now, we do so with the understanding of thanking our God for what he has done, that Jesus shed his blood for us. But we're proclaiming the fact that he is going to return again. Our Savior, Yeshua, is going to return again. And we want to be sharing this good news with so many people as we possibly can that Jesus is alive and he's real. And so as we partake of this cup, we do so remembering and proclaiming that Jesus is real. And so this morning, or whenever you may be watching or listening to this, we bless you. And I want to encourage you to find those avenues and opportunities to take this good news of who our Savior is and share it with others who may need to hear that Jesus is who he says he is. And he is worthy of their relationship with him. In Jesus' name, we bless you. Amen.